Welcome to the Inferno Cast. Today's guest has 10 different black belts, one of which is in Brazilian Jiu Jitsu, and he coaches martial arts school owners all across the world, Master Dave Kovar. How are you doing today, sir? Hey, thanks. Happy to be on. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. I appreciate you taking time to talk to me. You have an amazing story with a very diverse background, and I'm really glad that you've decided to, to share that with us today. Happy to be here. Okay, so we have to start at the beginning. When you were a kid, you found martial arts. What type of martial arts did you fall into, and what do you feel were the major influences of the intrigue of martial arts? You know, it's, it's an interesting question. So, uh, um, so I started in 1971 when I was with, with wrestling, when I was in seventh grade. But what happened uh, before that, I probably I was five or six, it was the mid-60s, and I was driving with my family somewhere, and I saw this silhouette of a guy doing a flying sidekick on a billboard. I, I don't know where it was. I, don't, I didn't know what it was, but I knew that's what I wanted to do. It's kind of like I didn't find martial arts. Martial arts kind of found me. And then my parents, this was back when no one did martial arts and especially it was considered violence. And, you know, why would you, especially kids didn't do it. And so it actually, uh, uh, the first thing they would let me do was once again, wrestling in junior high. And then my older brother, Tim had gone away and he'd done a year of Taekwondo and university and came back and said, you got to let, you got to let Dave do some, some martial arts training. So we signed up at the local karate school. It was an American Kempo school. And that would have been uh, September of 1973. And the, the good news about, and my instructor's name was Bruce Jutnick, and I still have a relationship with him, but uh, my influence, it was Bruce Lee, and it was the TV show Kung Fu, David Carradine. That was it. And, uh, wow. But what was cool about my instructor was back then, there's still a little bit of this, but back in the 70s and even into the 80s, you know, if you and I met and we found out we were martial arts, the first thing we do is we'd ask each other what style we were. And based on the answer, we'd determine if we're going to be friends or not, right? And so that was literally the mindset everybody had. It's really bizarre. Everybody else was the enemy, you know, rather than just being a, you know, uh, it, it was really kind of unique. However, my instructor was pretty much a cross training, did cross training before it was popular. Like we actually did Kodenkan Jiu-Jitsu, uh, you know, I had a school in our school in 1974. I was doing Kodenkan Jiu-Jitsu and we started Filipino weaponry in, in 75 under a guy named Angel Kambalas who founded the Sarada Escrima style. And so I was exposed to multi-styles at a real early age. And so it, it just kind of uh, was, so the reason why, like, uh, I don't know that it's better to have black belt in a lot of different styles. That was really not my intention. Like, I, you know, it was just that I guess I have a bad case of martial arts ADHD. I just love it all, you know. And so I kind of have a pretty broad knowledge base, but not necessarily as deep as it could have been if you studied in one thing. Like, for example, if, if you want to get really good at Filipino weaponry, I can get you started, but you're not going to, you know, you're not going to, you're, you're going to find someone that spent their whole life doing that. You, you, does that make sense? And so, oh, but but that's 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 what I, I enjoy, you know. It, it's kind of like uh, uh, I enjoy the diversity of the arts, and and uh, um, there's really, to me, like self defense is certainly an important part of martial arts training, to be sure. But that's usually not key, what keeps us training. You're not still training for self defense, right? It no. is that, and if it is, then you know, because the whole thing is what's the best style, and you know, you got that stuff. That's the, it, it's it's you know, who am I to tell you what your martial arts journey should be, right? And, and a, a quick story, I have a friend of mine who is uh, really into, uh, he's uh, in, into blades, right? As by the way, I was, I still enjoy, you know, weapons training, certainly, but there was a time where I was packing blades, it was kind of a thing you did, right? And uh, I just decided I gave that up, I didn't really want to do that. Part of it was I kept on losing my, my, 
I'd forget to take my um, my knife out when I was going through security at the airport, and I just got tired of losing all these expensive knives, right? But he remembers, he goes, Kovar, you're not carrying right now? You know, and I go, no, man, I don't. I don't. He goes, are you kidding? What happens? You know, you know, if somebody, you know, jumps around the corner, and I'm not downplaying the fact that that could happen, but here's what's interesting. And I go, why do you train people? Well, yes, yeah, so you can stay safe and live a long time. Well, he's eating a double cheeseburger with extra fives at the time, and I promise you, he's not going to die in a back alley knife fight. If you're talking about true self-defense, it's like it's a lifestyle. It's what you eat. It's, you know, all that to me is part of the martial arts journey. So true self-defense isn't just about defending yourself against a back alley knife fight. It's about defending yourself against bad attitude, you know, injury, uh, poor health, all those things. And, and so it's more to me, the martial arts is more, it gets to be just an expression. It's just, just a, 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 what, a, an enjoyable, uh, I don't want to I don't want to downplay it like uh I don't want to say enjoyable pastime. It, it just, it's, it's what we do, right? I mean, it, it's how you and I think. That's just kind of what we think about. I, um, uh, a, a while back, my wife got me some golf clubs because she thought I needed to do something different between martial arts. And so we actually, I went out and to the driving range because I'm right by a, a, a golf, I live right by a golf course. And, you know, it was fun. We did some, you know, but I felt like I was cheating on martial arts. I was thinking, oh man, I, you know, it was like, it didn't feel right to me. It's like in this time, I could be getting better at something, you know, that I care right. about it. Yeah, no, I can see that. But, you know, when you talked about self-defense and it being very one-dimensional, like that's always a struggle that we battle in our industry of this style, that style. And I really feel like it's almost like you need to become an elaborate problem solver, mm-hmm. whether that problem be interpersonal relationships, that problem be somebody jumps on your back and you have to get them off of you, you know, that problem be traffic is difficult that day mm-hmm. or somebody tries to jump you in a back alley. Like, but it's all problem solving, which goes back to fundamental principles of a mental attitude of preparation mm-hmm. and, and foresight and being able to make decisions. Um, so I really, I, I really feel like, you know, what you're expressing is the diversity of education can go beyond the martial arts to walk the martial path, you know, specifically. So you came up in this diversity, train all these different styles in martial arts. When did you realize that was not normal? That it was like, oh man, it's not normal for everybody to train all these different martial arts. So uh, I, I, you know, a great question. Uh, I, I, I don't know, like, you know, I guess what is normal, right? You know, it's like, uh, to me, that just seemed natural, you know. I, and by the way, I know I have a friend of mine who's a super high level uh, black belt in, in a traditional Okinawan style. He's an amazing guy. Uh, he's been training his whole life in this one art. And, and, uh, and he has really, I don't want, he has, he respects other things, but that this is what he does. This is what he does. And I, I respect him for it because he still trains in it. He still does that. Like he gets up and trains every day. There's a lot of guys that will hide behind their art. Like, you know, I, I just do this, but they really don't even do that. You know what I'm saying? They used to maybe, right? right. But they're really not practicing. So, so when it kind of goes back to, uh, you know, some people, they, they, and by the way, we see it a lot of jujitsu, right? Where I, I know guys that do jujitsu that honestly will not do anything else, even consider it because they don't want to, you know, break their focus. They want to get really good at this. And I respect that. Right. Um, uh, but I, I think for the most part, uh, my, my ability to, in cross-training is, is uh, 
it, it want, the more there's only how many say you say this, there's only with so many ways the elbow bends. And when you learn something from one art so often, you can transfer it directly to something else, whether it be the actual technique or the energy or the, the methodology for with which to train with it. Uh, and, and so I found that like, uh, uh, especially like my base system was American Kempo, it was Ed Parker's American Kempo system. And it's a very complicated kind of high brain system that takes a long time to get good at. Uh, and and uh, you could argue it's efficiency in a self-defense, that, that's it for another day because it's got some really amazingly cool stuff in it. But, but here's the deal. I know that understanding that art, it involves so much different intricate movement that when I train in another system, I can almost always relate what I'm learning from something I'd already learned in that system. It's made the process easier, so to speak. Yeah, which I mean, and that's true education is because, you know, you listen to people that discuss learning theory and they talk about like you don't learn information by creating new ideas in your head. You, you learn information by paralleling the new ideas with other pieces that are already in existence that you can kind of create an analogy with to where you can connect the dots. And that's where accelerated learning curves comes in, which for you, like that transitive property of having multiple martial art backgrounds, you know, most of them, you know, developing much, much of a, a physical ability and coordination skills. And like you said, the logic of the physiology of how the body moves to where you can adapt and, and address, you know, different ideas. Um, so your learning curve probably shortened up the more that you train in multiple styles to where you could connect an idea. Cause even if the idea is not relevant to those around you in your own mind, like I can remember when I learned uh, my first spider guard pass uh, where you do like a double under where your elbows tuck under. And as soon as this guy showed it to me, like it clicked because I had thrown double upset punches for like 20 years of my life <laughs> as a kid. Right. And I was yeah. just like, and in that, I knew I was like, I will never get caught in that again, which, you know, wasn't exactly true. But, um, but I just, I was able to connect it, even though nobody else in the class may have connected that. But for me, it just, it was one less thing I had to cognitively focus on that my, my subconscious, my body, the training, muscle memory just allowed me to just have access to. And I feel it's like that's kind of what you're, what yeah, you're it's a great, that's a great example. Absolutely. So how did you, so when you found Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, was it much of an epiphany? Was it like the turning point or was it just the next evolution? Well, you know, I, I just a little background. My first art was wrestling, right? I mean, that's what I did first. And it's funny, we used to not call that a martial art, right? But it's actually totally a martial art, right? And, and I wrestled for three years. And then my folks gave me the decision because I was it's a freshman in high school, season's about half over and I'm doing karate and wrestling. And they kind of said, you got you know, your grades are suffering. We're never seeing you pick one. And I picked karate and I have no regrets, but, but I'll tell you what those three years of wrestling, you know, I, 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 they've, I've been able to fall back on that a lot of times. Right. But so fast forward, now it's like the, the eighties and we're hearing about these Gracie challenge and, you know, uh, uh, back then, you know, in black belt magazine, there'd just be this thing, but it was this very mysterious thing that nobody really knew much about. Right. And, uh, uh and then, of course, uh, what was it, uh, November, December 1993, Hoist, Gracie, UFC 101, boom, everything changes. And, and I, I wanted to do it. I just didn't know where to go. And so there was actually Caesar Gracie opened up a school about an hour and a half from me in Pleasant Hill, Northern California, uh, in May of 94. And I opened, I, I started with him in June, you know, and I kind of never looked back, right, as soon as I could do it. And, and uh, uh, it was definitely uh, uh, 
a completely a, a different mindset, you know, and, and that was the Wild West back then. I mean, things were so different then in, in jiu-jitsu schools. It was, uh, uh, it, it was definitely a different world then, right? I, I think it wasn't the, the family friendly. It wasn't as family friendly. No, no, there, there was, uh, 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 yeah, it wasn't quite as much. And, uh, but it, it was, uh, it was interesting how, uh, and also, this is my interpretation of what went on back then. So uh, when, when I started, uh, I, I, I asked Caesar, uh, hey, any chance you can do a day class? Because, you know, I think if you did a day class, you'd get a bunch of martial artists to teach that want to learn this stuff. And, you know, he said, yeah, it sounds like a great idea. And he started like a Wednesday, Friday morning class. And within a month or two, there was like 40 guys in this morning class and, and 35 of them ran martial arts schools from all over Northern California, right? Like that was it. But none of us wanted to learn any jujitsu self-defense. We didn't want to learn any stand-up. We just wanted to grapple because that was something we didn't know. And I think that mindset was part of the reason why so much of like the original jujitsu that maybe Ilyo taught kind of got, it kind of got put on the back shelf because a lot of people that started already felt like they knew how to do a bear hug defense, right? Whether it was good or not is beside the point. They, they felt like they had that covered. Just show me how to, you know, how to do an arm bar and, you know, how, how to do a UPA. That was really the, where, where, the, where the focus was. And uh, uh, so, yeah, it was, it, it's been really interesting to see it evolve like it has and, um, and you know, how, uh, it, it, there's definitely some stuff like, like the difference between like, I love, you know, I still love karate, man. I, I love kickboxing and, 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 but here's the deal. You can't like spar hard on a regular basis. You just can't do it. It, it just beats the yeah. body up too much. You know, yeah, the, the but miles can, add up a little bit too quick. Yeah, man. But you can do jujitsu at a relatively high level, relatively safely. If you have the right partners and, you know, you, there comes that, that learning curve where you have to kind of get through that. Uh, you know, that stage where you don't know how your body works and you don't know, uh, you haven't been smart enough to learn to tap yet, all those things, right? But once you get that figured out, you know, you can really age gracefully and have a lot of fun and, and where it's something that is still competitive and 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 safe and, you know, enjoyable. You know, it's kind of like the Harley Davidson, uh, you know, someone, there's the thing, if you ha if I have to explain it, you wouldn't understand. Well, that's kind of jujitsu, you know, to a certain degree. Yeah. You know, it's well, kind of like know, if you Go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say, if you have to explain to somebody, why would you like to do that? It's just really hard to, it's just, you know, it scratches so many itches. You know, you, you get to use your brain. It's a moving meditation. First off, it's a great workout and, and, and uh, uh, yeah, you kind of get to embrace your shadow, so to speak, you know? Absolutely. You know, you mentioned something earlier of when jujitsu came to the States, there's like all of these martial arts people that were enamored by it. Do you almost think that maybe the market conditions of, you know, American martial artists wanting such specific parts of Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu guided its path to where like some of the self-defense and some of the other aspects kind of fell by the wayside? hundred percent, hundred percent. Yeah. Because, as a matter of fact, I, I think you've probably seen the resurgence. Like what I see, because I coach a lot of jujitsu schools too, and how to run a successful business and how to be a better teacher and everything. And, and what's interesting is, is originally like in the nineties, you didn't really, if you were a legitimate jujitsu black belt or somebody, that's all, it didn't matter. You know, if you were on time, it didn't matter if your school was clean or not, you're going to fill people, you know, because there was a supply and demand thing, but now there's so much good quality, you know, uh, black belts in America that now, you, the same rules that apply to other martial arts schools, like starting class on time, ending on time, you know, making sure the environment is safe, you know, all those things are, are, 
are, you know, are really important. But what I see uh, in successful jiu-jitsu schools, there's always exceptions, but is there tends to be, what I mean by successful is I don't necessarily mean the one that's got the, uh, maybe wins the most team medals at, at a tournament as much as someone that maybe has a very large uh, active student body, right? And by the way, who's to say which, which you should have? It's, it's like an individual choice. It depends on what your it's emphasis true. is, right? But it, it are ones that tend to be less focused on competition and tend to be a little more focused on kind of, uh, you know, old school jujitsu and the fact that they're teaching the elements of self-defense. There's a strong emphasis on safety. And, and maybe they take their, their competitors and they kind of keep them maybe a little bit separate or, you know, uh, and so they're, they're really catering to mainstream America, not, not the elite, you know, 22-year-old athlete. Which is great to have, but it's hard to it's it's hard to make a living, you know, uh, teaching just those guys, as you're well aware of. For sure, yeah. I mean, and that's a very, you know, interesting perspective because when you think about it, it's like we all got introduced to Gracie Jiu Jitsu as a fighting style. Like, you show up, we will fight you, and see what happens. And kind of anything went, and then you know it transitioned into uh, this like, well, it's just on the ground, just on the ground. And, and now, like you said, I really see this resurgence because I think that people are going back to the drawing board of what do people in the world look for? And they're looking for self-defense primarily or to get in shape. But there's always a degree of self-defense. And when they walk in and they see everybody crawling around on the ground and choking each other and having fun, you have to have the conversation of, well, I don't know if that's what I need because I'm worried if somebody like, grabs my throat or somebody pins me up against my car. So you've got to have those other discussions. And of course, now, like I would say a huge percentage of people that are running BJJ schools are multiple martial artists. Mm -hmm. So like it complements it. And then whenever they do those other pieces, that's something else, you know, like that's Krav Maga or this is boxing or this is Muay Thai or, you know, Filipino style, you know, so like the credit of the well-rounded martial art doesn't always get given to Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu because you have, like you said, all these multiple martial artists that, that found the ground game to round them out. But I feel like you're seeing that change where, where people are yeah. approaching BJJ as a well-rounded. I'm seeing the same trends. Um, the other thing you mentioned was uh, the meditation with movement as far as like when you get to roll and meditate. Can you give us some insight into how you feel that uh, BJJ affects people mentally and emotionally, especially in those flow moments as they sometimes are described. Yeah, it, 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 it's one of those things where uh, uh, clearly it takes a while because you have to have a certain amount of uh, unconscious competence in the art and for that to happen, right? You know, it's kind of conscious competence is being able to do something that you have to think through it, right? Co unconscious competence, when you, brush, when you brush your teeth or you tie your shoe, you just do it. And the only way to get there is mindful repetition. That's why like drilling is such an important thing. We all just want to roll, right? But drilling is such an important thing to do because that's when you really program yourself in a, in a positive way. Otherwise, you just kind of end up getting kind of mat tough, you know, right? To a certain degree. Yeah. But, but if you want to broaden your horizon, but I think uh, it, it, for me, it begins with being in a safe environment, right? So the, what, the, what does that mean exactly? That, that you've got partners that you're comfortable training with, right? And you've got an instructor that's got your best, everybody's best interest in mind. And you've got their sensory acuity up. They're kind of, you know, making sure that everybody's, uh, everybody understands the rules. It's cooperative. Yes, it's competitive, but it's also cooperative. And you and I were opponents, but we're really partners in this dance, right? And, and that, 
and that you're comfortable. This is, you know, you're comfortable in knowing it's okay to tap. You know, we always hear about it, but it really is so important to check your ego, right? Like I'm, I'm a, I'm going to be 61 in a couple of days, right? And I'm still in there wrestling with the young guys. And, and like, I got to remind myself, Hey, you're not 25. You know what I mean? It's okay. You know, it's okay. You know, just, just have fun. Right. Because if I don't, my, my ego gets in there and then it blocks that flow state because then I'm fighting, I'm going with expectations versus just kind of, you know, slapping hands and just having fun and rolling and just trying to kind of try to be in the moment, so to speak. And, and, uh, uh, and of course, you know, when you're there, it's pretty cool. It's pretty amazing. All of a sudden you find your body doing stuff that you kind of look back on or that like, whoa, that, you know, uh, you know, I would have not consciously been able to do that. So I, I think it's like anything else. It, it just takes uh, a, a lot of a conscious effort initially. Uh, and then uh, you got to go in with no expectations because when you try to force a technique, you can't be in flow state. That's my experience. You know, you just kind of, you, maybe you've got a strategy that you've got planned with somebody, but then you've just got to kind of uh, respond and let and let your your training kind of take over. And I don't think you're aware that you're in flow state until after you're done with it. That's my experience, right? Yeah, you know, because uh, you're in the moment. You're not aware of anything else but that moment. I was talking to Alex O'Laughlin, and um, he's a lifetime martial artist, and he's more known as an actor. But we were talking about that flow state, and he was mentioning specifically what you said. He's like. I'm aware that I'm getting that flow state now, but he said in the beginning, he's like, I, I didn't even really know that's what would ha was happening. You know, he's like, afterwards, I'd be like, oh man, I feel better, but he couldn't put his finger on it where, where now like he understands it and engages it. Um, so then my, and that leads to my question is, do you have enough experience and have you been training long enough to where you can access that flow state off the martial arts mat, like in the regular world? Uh, more than I used to be. I can't say I can, I can lock it in, but see, I, I've also been probably 20, 25 years ago, you know, theoretically martial arts is part of meditation is part of martial arts, but not that many people really do it. And I was that guy that would try, but it didn't seem to work. So I, you know, so I actually went out and took a course and I paid a lot of money, money to learn how to meditate. And since I paid a lot of money for it, damn it, I was going to do it. Does that make sense? And I actually got in that habit and it's pretty much stuck with me. And, and so that, that's one of those things that's really powerful as well, the kind of, you know, because what is meditation? It's really just, it's, it's nothing, depending on how you look at it, it's being in the moment. You know, see, when you practice meditation, the whole idea is that you're trying not to think about anything. But the only way to not think about anything is to think about something. That's why you use a mantra or breathing or sound you know, something like that, right, uh, um, is because that gives you something to focus on. And what people uh, get frustrated with is, that, you know, I, every time I, I meditate, I get sidetracked. Well, that's the that's where you learn because the best way, getting, finding yourself being sidetracked and bringing yourself back, that's the lesson. That's where we learn how to, to be able to control that. A, a best analogy I could give you is let's imagine that you have a, a six or seven month old baby that's just learning to crawl. And you bring him to the beach and you put out a big beach towel and you put the baby in the middle of the towel and the baby starts crawling off to the side. What do you do? You don't go, oh, what? you just quietly bring the baby back to the middle of the blanket. And that's kind of what you do when your mind starts to wander when you're meditating, right? Oh, gee, I'm and you bring yourself back in, right? And so I find that, that uh, like one of the things that I'll do is when I do a, a like a run. Some people use the headphones with, you know, they're listening to motivated music or maybe they're listening to an, you know, a podcast. And that's totally cool if that's what you do. For me, 
I want that. I, I want no distraction because I want, I want my mind to kind of go. And that, that's the, another type of meditation for me, right? It's just kind of being in nature, running, um, uh, uh, maybe walking, uh, uh, gardening can do it. But so I think that uh, uh, you can access that state, a lot of different things. But, but my experience has been that jujitsu has helped me get to those other, because once you can do it one place, you can do another, get there faster uh, than, than I would have without it, if that makes sense. It absolutely does. You know, and one of the other things that always brought me to a flow state very quickly was, uh, was stick work. Like when I'd get doing Kali, it was like, it was just, it would force you to not cognitively process to where you would be in a rhythm. And I always liked that one because you would be in the rhythm and you would be aware of the rhythm. Cause like sometimes like, in jujitsu, like I'm very aware of what they're doing, trying to do the submission, and I'm so distracted that I don't, I don't notice I'm in flow state. But like stick work, I was because I'd be there thinking, oh no, don't think about it too much because you're gonna mess it up and smash your fingers, you know. Um, and it's just that detachment of that cognitive upper processing, kind of like what you had mentioned of you know, like that that upper brain work. Um, if you're advising and coaching someone to try to find momentum in their life, like I've been, I've done a few kickboxing classes. I'm not a very successful person. Uh, the, the world is against me. I'm not exactly a victim mentality, but I, just, I struggle getting momentum. If you're going to advise somebody how to get a few steps forward, what would those, what would those steps be? So I think uh, right now with, with everything that's going on in the world too, I, that I, I have what I'm, I'm, I've come to play the, what I call the three A's that have just kind of popped into my head lately that I've been focusing on and their attitude adaptability and action, okay? And what I mean by that, the fir very first one is, is we can't control what's going on around us, right? But what we can control is what we focus on and what action steps we take, right? And, and so, and that can, of course, strongly influence the outcome of whatever's going on. So that's the first thing is that, is that I think we need to stand guard at the door of your mind to quote Tony Robbins. And that is, is that man, right now is not a time to be watching five hours of local news. It's like, you know, I'm very guarded with how my day starts. I've got a set morning routine I do so that I'm reading something that, you know, uplifts me. I'm, I'm you know, I'm, I'm some quiet time. I'm exercising. All those things to where I'm kind of starting the day on purpose, you know, with the best mindset I can possibly have. Uh, because, you know, the key to high performance is energy fueled from positive emotions. It's when you, we do our best perform, we do our best work when we have mental clarity, physical energy, and emotional calm. We're in that, in that flow state, right? In the zone, whatever you want to call it. And so there's things you can do to maximize your chance of that. So that's first off is really focusing on being conscious of your attitude, right? And then the next thing is adaptability. And that is, is that, you know, you can, you can complain about what's going on around you, uh, uh, but that doesn't necessarily you know, it's okay to vent every now and then. It doesn't necessarily do you a lot of good. I bumped into an old friend of mine a few days ago, and he's having a real hard time dealing with what's going on. And he was, he told me, he gave me 40 reasons, things that he no longer can do. Uh, he's a hairdresser, okay, and, and that he can no longer do. And then they did this. And, and, and I finally had to say, I go, time out, man, I get it. But let, what can you focus on what you can do, right? Let's, okay, you vent a little bit, but then what can you still do? Because I think what people got to do is they have to ask themselves the right question. Because uh, I always try to position my challenges in the form of a question that assumes there's an answer, okay? So like right now, how can, well, the question that I ask myself every day and I got my team really focused on is how can I manage this crisis in, in a way that brings maximum benefit to my community, my business, and my family? 
right? That's that's a question that's going to get me thinking about kind of the answer, so to speak, right? Uh, uh, and then, of course, action. What do I mean by that? Uh, is that right now, if you've got free time, you know, there's a few things. Some people, by the way, I'm personally as busy as I've ever been. We've got all this stuff that we're doing to just try to, you know, help our clients and help with our students uh, that we're, you know, we're, we're keeping plenty busy. Uh, but I also know what goes up must come down. You can't just always work. You have to have downtime. You have to, but, and there's nothing wrong with like, you know, you know, uh, what binge watching on Netflix a bit. Okay. That's cool. Whatever works for you. However, you don't want to live there, man. You know, it's kind of like, what would you future self thank you for doing right now? And so I've got seven things that I focus on if I've got free time and I want to be somewhat productive, but, the, and, and their exercise education. It can be something specific to your field or just general education. Just like I'd like to you know, learn about Civil War history and World War II history. And just, you know, that fascinates me. Exercise, education, relationships. Reach out to an old friend. Just check on them. Service. Do something nice for somebody, right? It's always the right thing to do. You know, and it's also, it's very martial. The whole word samurai means to serve. That's what it literally translates to me. The fifth one is nature, you know, get out, just get out. That makes such a big difference. The sixth one is quiet contemplation. And what do I mean by that? You know, if I was to break emotions into four categories, there's a lot more than that. But high positive, when we get our most done is when we're enthusiastic, excited, energized, right? High negative is angry, jealous, fearful. That's a high, that's a lot of energy, but it's fueled with negative emotion. And then low negative is lethargic, bored, depressed. Low positive is calm, contemplative, quiet, you, you get the, uh, reflective. And so the point why I share this with you, if you want to be at your best, you know, high positive, you know, energized, focused, you got to you got to set yourself up because what goes up must go down. You got to set yourself with spending time on purpose in low positive, right? And that quiet contemplation that's, you know, the, the challenge with having a phone next to us all the time is we're never bored. You know, yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm embarrassed to say this, but I'll be at a stoplight and it's a long light. I'll pull my phone out and I'll scroll for a minute while I'm, what the heck, man, what's that about? See, when, when we're bored, if we're bored in, in from a quiet, from a low positive state, that's when our best ideas kick in. You know, we, we need that quiet time, you know, for our unconscious to kind of help us find the right way. So that was number six. And number seven is, 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 um, is art, some kind of form, you know, something where you can express yourself. And by the way, like for me, I'm learning kanji right now, right? I'm working on kanji, right? Uh, but so you can combine a lot of, uh, together. If I'm walking in the park in the morning, I'm getting nature, I'm getting exercise, I'm getting client contemplation combined together, right? You get the idea. There's, but those are always a, a good use of time right now to your friend that, or, or my friend that isn't really accomplishing what they want. You start small. You just do little tweaks that are differently, you know, uh, uh, just a little more. Like, for example, I'm amazed by the disconnect really smart people have with their level of health and their level of happiness and success. I'm sure you know really smart guys that treat themselves like crap. And there's a direct connection. So that would be the, I, I, that's the place I would always have someone start is like, okay, what can you do to it, it make sure your healthy habits are in line? Because with, with good habits, time is your ally. With bad habits, time is your enemy, right? And, and so what, and that's always a good place to start. And then, to, then kind of set yourself up for success by adding slowly over time. Absolutely. I mean, that just really outlines a very clear roadmap, which is what I think most people don't have, which leads me to the next position because Roadmap, the, the strategy part, the logistical, you, you've laid that out. 
now when you go to the next, you know, I call it position because it's almost like it's a, it's a physical assertion of what they want, where I want the job, I want the next belt, I want the championship. People fall in love with these goals, but they miss out on where true fulfillment lies. So with the next stage, I have my roadmap. Well, now where do I find fulfillment whenever I'm chasing these goals and achieving these different things? It's a great question. So my father, who's one of my heroes, he's still alive. He's 97 years old. And uh, he was a you know, World War II veteran. He was a prisoner of war. He was shot down. He did a couple death marches, uh, you know, survived a near firing squad, torture, the whole deal, right? By the way, he's got a book. It's called Prisoner of War, How I Survived, Lynn Kovar. You can get it on Amazon. It's a really good book. Of course, I'm biased, right? But, but anyway, you know, my, my dad, uh, growing up, uh, every time we get together as a family, that, that all those experiences, a lot of people may have been like, their life might have been destroyed by all that, right? Uh, he came back with this sense of appreciation, you know, for, for like, you know, for, for life in general. And, and uh, one of the most positive guys you'll ever meet. But every time we ever got together as a family, he would always say, look around, check out for, you know, count your blessings or something like that. And then he would say, these are the good old days. That's his line. And how I interpret that, uh, I, my favorite word in the English language, I really attribute, although he didn't use this word, this is what he meant is savor. As in what I love about the word savor is it brings you to the present moment with a sense of appreciation, as in savor a good meal, savor a con great conversation with a friend, savor a beautiful sunset. It's kind of like, uh, and so along the way, it, it, you know, it, it, it it, the phrase be here now is so important is that like, all right, man, whatever you're dealing with, don't forget to like, uh, you know, a little rain's going outside to kind of step out and just kind of enjoy the rain, right? Uh, in, in other words, try to be a present with a sense of appreciation for what's going on. Because, you know, if you're always about the next thing, there's nothing wrong with having goals, man, got to have goals, nothing wrong with that. But you know, you're, you've never arrived. And I'm, I don't know about you, but I'm a big, I don't know much you've studied stoicism before, but I'm a big fan of stoicism. And, and that Marcus Aurelius is probably the most well-known stoic. And, and for those of you guys who like movies, think, think, uh, uh, think the gladiator. Okay. You know, the, 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 he, he was Marcus Aurelius was the guy that got killed by his son. Right? Anyway, but that, but he was actually the last great emperor of, of, of uh, Rome. What I mean by great, he was like actually, uh, a very positive, you know, he, he had the best interest of his people in, in, in mind, but, but uh, in, in Stoicism, the, the concept is, uh, uh, it is a which means love your life. And it basically what you're focusing on, you, you're not worried about the outcome. You're only worried about uh, the effort that you put into it. So the analogy would be, let's just say I, I I'm, I'm doing archery and I pull that arrow back and, and I let it go. And it's the perfect pull. My breathing is perfect. You know, I've trained for it. Everything about it goes perfectly. I let it go. Once I let the arrow go, whatever happens is out of my control. I, if I'm happy with the pole, I'm happy with the pole. Meaning, what if all of a sudden wind blows the target down or a bird flies in front of the arrow, right? That's out of my control. So when it comes to, like said, it's great to set goals, but it, of course, and it, but it's really about the process, like being in the process it, that versus, uh, you know, the, the actual the end result. Because when you, if, if you're just, Focused on the end result, you're never going to be happy because you're always going to be focusing on that next thing. Man, that is profound information. Um, so whenever people focus on the process and it's, you know, appreciating the moment, how do you advise or inspire people to get over the negative self-talk or the negative influence of others? You know, social media, yeah, things of that yeah. nature. So Such whenever it's, 
So whenever the criticism comes pouring in and the world just feels like it's against you and so-and-so said this and this person posted that, and you know, we know that post is really about me or, you know, I'm just in my own head. I don't feel like I have the momentum. I can't find that, that position to move from. What's your insight on that? It, it's really a really good uh, question. I actually have a PowerPoint. I'm just joking. Uh, I, this is, I have a, it, I can always do more than I think I can. And, and this is kind of a, a, some reminders to myself uh, is that, hey, man, every one of us, even that person that doubts themselves, there's plenty of things that they accomplished that they never thought they could. And what happens is, is that we have to, we all have a, mind, a series of mindsets or beliefs about how the world works and how we work in it. Unfortunately, they're not always based in reality, right? Sometimes our beliefs are wrong. Like some of them might think, ah, you know, there's nobody honest in the world. Well, that's not true. There's plenty of honest people here. But what happens is when you, when you throw out that belief, then you look for proof that that's the case and you'll find it. You'll find plenty of dishonest people, right? So it's, it's so the key thing is to, it, it takes conscious effort. By the way, that's why a lot of people don't ever do it. They, they never really grow, right? Much is that you've got to decide, all right, do, do the beliefs, how I look at the world, do they serve me? Are those powerful? And if not, with, you know, uh, okay, like my, my, one of my beliefs is I don't, let's just pretend that I don't think I can ever accomplish something. You know, I have a low, uh, what a confidence level. Well, what I have to do now is I have to make a conscious effort of identifying that that's what my belief is. And then finding proof that that's not true by going back and looking at the things that I've successfully accomplished, right? And then, so now I've made a conscious effort of it. And now going forward, making a conscious effort of looking for other proof that that is so true as well. Does that make sense? And then over time, all of a sudden, you, yeah, I did. I can do this. I was able to accomplish that. I didn't think I could do that. But it doesn't happen without like effort. Like that's why I don't know about you. I'm a I'm older than you by by a long shot. But even you you've been you you've met guys or you've bumped into guys from high school that have not matured one bit since they were 18, right? And they might be the same person when they're 70, right? And and so that that's why it 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 it, it it's it's a lot of work to try to get yourself to the next level, and it takes a conscious effort. There's a book by a guy named Kay Anders Erickson. It's called Peak. I don't know if you heard of it or not. Yeah. You yeah. have. Yeah. So in that book, he talks about, uh, you know, he, he analyzes successful like scientists, athletes, business people, and he's looking for commonalities. And the two things that he finds, it wasn't intelligence. It wasn't, you know, athleticism. It was introspection and self-discipline. Introspection, the ability to think, how can I be better? What do I got to do to be better? That was the first thing. Number two is self-discipline. And that's the, that's the ability, of course, to take action on that. And, and I think those are really important takeaways. So the bottom line is you can't, that, that's why you really can't get anybody to change, right? They've got to want to do it. They've got to be open and receptive to it. So the only thing we can do is maybe provide the best example we can be for other people. And when they ask a question, we can maybe suggest they try something and go from there. Otherwise, uh, you know, you, you, a lot of people have wasted a lot of time trying to change other people. And it just, it, it doesn't happen until they're ready for it to happen. Yes, very true. So you mentioned beliefs. What happens whenever people have like a flawed belief system or a belief system they're not even aware of that is sabotaging their momentum? You know, how do people find these beliefs? How do they get over them and, and find a way around them or identify that they even exist? Yeah, like I said, it takes introspection, but let me give you an example. My mom is 93. And when she was in first grade, she was told, stand in the back of the choir and don't sing too loud. You don't have a very good voice, okay? And 
growing up, I never remember hearing her sing. Now, my dad was like a big band singer and he, he did barbershop quartet. He was always singing, but my mom never. Up until two or three years ago when dementia took away a lot of her memory and all of her inhibitions. Now she sings all the time. But here's what's interesting. She's actually got a really good voice. But she missed out on 87 years of, of singing because of something someone told her when she was six years old, right? So to your point, and once again, it takes a conscious effort. It, it takes a, 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 you know, a conscious effort of deciding, okay, uh, how I view the world, does it serve me? Is it beneficial, right? And, and, uh, uh, and, then, and then kind of going from there to decide uh, if, it's, if it doesn't serve me for like, for example, I've got a series of what I call the 14 martial arts mindsets, which are, are right along this lines. Um, one of them might, the first one is I take great care of myself because the world needs me at my best. That's the first mindset. Okay. And, and, uh, and if you think about it, why, why I position it in this way was how many people do we know uh, you and I both that, 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 uh, you know, I'd take better care of myself because I don't have time because I got this career and this family and all this stuff. And maybe they believe it. Maybe they even believe it. But, but right. But the bottom line is we forget that we're better for everyone else in our world when we're feeling good about ourselves and we're healthy. Right. So that would be one mindset that I would challenge somebody with. Okay. And, and, and uh, so that would be the first one. Like, uh, and then another mindset is the concept of this challenge will make me stronger. Whatever it is I'm facing now, it's either going to build me up or break me, right? You know, you know, if you want to get stronger, what do you do? You do resistance training. And, and if, you, if you only do push-ups until they start to hurt and quit, you're never getting stronger. It's those ones that hurt that make you stronger. If you're going to sail around the world with some guy that's a sailor on a small yacht. You want a guy that's been through storms before, right? And, and so we know this intellectually, but when hard times come, we forget about it. And this is, you know, like right now with everything that's going on, this is our chance to, uh, you know, to, to see how we're going to, we're going to present ourselves to the world. Are we going to be, are we going to step up into it uh, and, and do our best to kind of bring value or are we going to wither and die and complain, right? And, and, and so just, uh, so that would be, I guess, a, a short answer, a long answer to a quick question that you gave me. Oh, no, I mean, that's, I feel like that's one of the more important ones to dive deep on is to explain in detail on that because one of my mentors one time, he told me that most people run the same emotional play regardless of the obstacle that's in front of them, whether they have a flat tire you know, or something catches on fire. How have you seen people change that typical emotional reaction? It's a great question. So I, I think one of the keys is one of the uh, one of the um, one of the martial arts mindsets is I remain calm even in challenging situations. I remain calm even in challenging situations. And uh, you know you've taught plenty of classes in your career. Is that fair to say? Have you ever taught a bunch of little kids that were getting out of hand? Does it ever help to lose control of your emotion when you're doing that? They will eat you alive. Now you know this, so you suck it up. You be calm. You find a way to get through it. Well. You know, when you're, when, when all of a sudden you got a puppy and the puppy, uh, you forgot to put the trash away and the puppy empties the trash all over the whole house, skews it everywhere. By the way, it was a half hour ago. The puppy's in the backyard, doesn't even remember it happened, right? And you walk in and you go, oh, that's your chance. You use everyday adversity as a way to develop mental toughness. That's your chance to practice that. You take, okay, you know, I'm going to be calm in this, in this situation. And, and, uh, uh, and, and if I can't be calm in a little thing like that, I'm not going to be common a big thing. You're stuck in traffic at a red light and you're late for an engagement. That's when you practice being calm. And, and now what happens is, is you, every day you've got all these, these opportunities to 
develop next level of, 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 of discipline, so to speak. And these are now our, our, our uh, you know, like for me, I travel a lot normally. Of course, I have in the last couple of months, uh, but I'm on the road a lot. And, and, uh, and, and there's always something going on in airplanes, you know, with airports, you know, delays, uh, you know, reschedule. And, and that's just what, you, what happens. And I'm amazed by how many people like take it out on the gate agent, like it's their fault. And so what I try to do, and I, I can't, I'm not perfect by any stretch, you know, but I'm better than I was, is that I just try to, hey, man, I know I'm going to get home. I know I'm going to get to my destination. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use the stuff, the delay, as a chance just to practice being calm, you know. And, 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 and so now life presents all these learning opportunities if you look at it that way. When people mishandle those circumstances, you know, when they lash out at the person that's employee, they post something on Facebook, what do you feel like they're really trying to accomplish with those actions at their core? Well, I, I, uh, I have this belief. Uh, it actually comes from a, a Ben Zoma was a, like a first century philosopher. And he had a series of questions that he felt if you ask these questions correctly, you'd live the ultimate life. But one of them, who is a mighty person? And the answer is one who has control of their emotions and can make friends of their enemies. That's the answer. And so uh, I've had, so when I see someone loses control of their emotion, uh, maybe when I was younger, I'd see some big strong guy that chewed somebody out. I think, whoa, that guy's badass. You know, maybe that's what I would have thought of then. But now I look at that person, I go, wow, man, they have no control over their emotions, right? And and so for me, my fragile male ego wants me to be a mighty person, right? So all of a sudden, when I catch myself getting angry, you know, I I I I. Re, I remind myself, hey, man, you know, being calm under under pressure is, is that this is your chance to do that, so to speak. Uh, and, and so my 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 thought process on this would be is, is for someone to. It's natural to feel the emotion, right, but it's like a black cloud going over your head. You know, it, it's it's what do you do? I'm you're going to be angry. I'm going to be angry, you know, but in that in that fit of anger, do we have enough control to let the storm pass? Right. And, and, and even, and how it starts is when you find yourself getting angry, you know, and you're like, maybe, have you ever been mad for being mad? I shouldn't be, I shouldn't let that get to me right now. I can't, you know, and you think I'm better than that. I shouldn't let that comment bother me, right? Just the fact that you're aware of the fact that that comment shouldn't bother you, but it is, means you're making great progress. That means you're mindful. Does that make sense? And so that's a starting point. So it's just trying to be aware of the emotion that you experience and, and not that you can necessarily fix it, but thinking, wow, I'm angry right now. Let me make sure I don't say anything I might regret later on. Right. And that that's progress. And then over time, uh, you know, things will tend, I believe, to bother you less. Uh, uh, you know, case in point, um, uh, you know, there's been a, a, a more than one time where uh, you know, I, I, not always where, where something happened. I, uh, I, I broke a light bulb a few weeks back and it ended up all over the, uh, uh, in, in my makeshift studio in my house. Right. You know, for, for my, and I got glass all over the carpet and, and, the and the lino. And normally five years ago, I would like, you know, cussed out and stomped around the floor. You know, I, I took a breath and I just kind of, with the help of my wife, by the way, who was, you know, I, I just, we just kind of cleaned it up. And it's like, it's what's done is done. I'm not going to give that any emotion, right? And I, I felt like for me, that was a big victory because a few years back, I would have like been really upset and the anger wouldn't help the situation. It doesn't make the glass get cleaned up faster. It just only brings me out of be, me being at my best. That's excellent. What advice would you give 20-year-old Dave Kovar? 
besides who won the World Series and to bet everything on them. <laughs> that's a good one, man. Uh, you know, that's a great question. Uh, um, you know, get up in the morning, do your best, right? Uh, uh, it, it's like the, the life is an adventure and enjoy every day and, you know, work hard. Basically, take care of the days and the years take care of themselves. I like that. That's excellent. Man, that's phenomenal. I really appreciate you taking time to catch up with me and, uh, you know, and kind of talk through some of your martial arts experience and especially how it has bled into the rest of your life. And, you know, people right now, I think, are looking for a little bit of direction, a little bit of leadership. And that's definitely, you know, what I'm trying to provide a little bit here is because you've spent your entire life compiling this information and, and coming up with systems and processes that have helped you become successful within your areas of life with challenges and mistakes. But, you know, this allows people to take a glimpse and to learn something in an hour that took you a lifetime to figure out because it's just those little life hacks and shortcuts. If we can just hear one thing or something that influences us, it can definitely be a game changer. Uh, I know that my trajectory has changed many times and I always tell people, you never know when you're somebody's moment because most of the moments in my life, the people that were propagating or telling me them, they have no memory of, they're just like, Oh, I said that. Okay. Um, and so it just, yep. you never know where people hold on to something, which I think helps us as leaders carry a burden of a high standard to always be trying to influence people in a positive way. But also as students, you always need to be looking for that moment. Cause like you mentioned intentionality, when you are seeking something that will help you grow and you're seeking to make something into an opportunity, you will find those more and you start working in more cooperation almost with, with, you know, the, the world or the universe or, you know, however you might see or, or define that, but that cooperation, just like with jujitsu, I mean, you said it yourself, if I'm fighting to push the technique, it will not work. I have to find the moment that allows it to happen. And the only way you can do that is if you're able to receive feedback, you know, into yourself and be a little introspective. So I think that you really gave us some good insight. I appreciate the time. Is there anything you'd like to finish with? No, man, appreciate your time. And, and, you know, I would just say that this too shall pass, you know, we're going to get through this and we're going to have a lot more wisdom from it. If we, if we, wisdom is just experience remembered. Right. And that's what we got to do right now is just try to remember everything, you know, learn from what's going on so that we can glean that going forward. And uh, uh, we'll look back on this and and, uh, and and we'll and we'll go, oh, yeah, that's right. That happened. That was pretty rough. But we'll get through it. And stuff might be different. There might be loss along the way. But what are you going to do, man? You know, you, you, you just it's, you only you only. Uh, you know, as long as you keep, keep swinging, it's not like baseball where you get three strikes. You just keep swinging. That's that's it, you know, and eventually, you know, you're going to get a hit. Perfect. Thank you for the insight. I hope you have a great day. All right. Thank you.